Hello and welcome to Fast Talk, your source for the science of cycling performance. I'm your host, Chris Case. You might not think of cornering as science. After all, the title of this episode is The Art of Cornering. But today we'll try to hit the subject of cornering and descending from many sides. Obviously, there's plenty of physics involved in making a bike arc through a sweeping bend. We'll tell you all about the forces at play as you drive your bike. And then we'll tell you to set all of that aside and join us for a discussion of the nuances and yes, the art of cornering. Body position, weight distribution, the eight, yes, eight stages of cornering, where your eyes should be, where your hands should be, where your mind should be, all that and much more on today's episode. We'll also talk a bit about some of the skills specific to descending like the super tuck. Should you risk it? If so, when and how? I once did an experiment on the Super Tuck with Leonard Zinn, so I'll talk about that harrowing experience. I am still alive today to talk about it. This episode of Fast Talk is brought to you by Whoop. Whoop is a fitness wearable that provides personalized insights on the performance of your sleep, how recovered your body is, and how much stress you put on your body throughout the day from your workouts and the normal stressors of life. What's great with Whoop is that every day when you get up, you get a recovery score based on your HRV, resting heart rate, and sleep performance that can be used as an indicator to how to approach your day. The Whoop app has built-in features like the Strain Coach, which actually gives you target exertion goals worked out optimally for the level of intensity your body is signaling it can handle, perfect for working out at home. And based on how strenuous your day is, the app has a built-in sleep coach, which actually lets you know how much sleep you should be getting so you can wake up and be recovered based on your performance goals, which you can set. Whoop is offering 15% off with the code FASTTALK. That's F-A-S-T-T-A-L-K at checkout. Go to whoop, that's W-H-O-O-P dot com, and enter FASTTALK at checkout to save 15%. Sleep better, recover faster, and train smarter. Optimize your performance with Whoop. Now, Trevor, I know you've convince some athletes that you still coach that WHOOP is a valuable tool. So maybe give us a a little overview of how you use WHOOP for the art of coaching. It's just like using the the other metrics. I want to see how hard they're training. I want to see the work they're doing. But I have learned with my athletes that's an incomplete picture. And I have sub-athletes that have real good stamina and can push through things until they cook themselves. I have other athletes that can't handle it very well. Getting that WHOOP data from them every week is remarkably valuable. You know, I asked them to to send me the summary of the week and I want to see on WHOOP, there's there's this week view where it shows you your strain every day. That shows you your recovery level every day. For a lot of my athletes, I want points in the week where recovery is higher than the, the strain and vice versa. But it it is actually a very valuable metric that I can't see anywhere else. And it gives me a complete picture of their week that I can't get just from the training software. Our main guest today is Emil Abraham, someone you may not have heard of, but who has racked up numerous wins because of his cornering and descending prowess, having grown up riding the twisty, steep roads of Trinidad and Tobago. Emil is a 12-time national road race champion of his home country, 
as well as a Pan Am Games silver medalist in 2007, among many other notable wins. Through his coaching business, EmilAbrahamCoaching.com, and his current team, the North Georgia Cycling Association, he provides a platform for the development of riders from around the world, and particularly those from the Caribbean. He's also the event director of the two-day Mobile Cycling Classic. More than a few times today, you'll hear Emil talk about dropping Trevor like a sack of anvils at the Tobago Classic, which they've raced together many times. And anyone who drops Trevor, whether going up a hill or down a hill, is a friend of mine. Also in today's episode, we hear from our friend and podcast colleague, Colby Pierce, Petter Vakoc of the Alpecin Phoenix Pro Team, professional mountain biker, Payson McKelvin, and Kristen Legan, a coach and former cycling tech editor and new addition to the Fast Labs family here on Fast Talk. Now, get ready to hit that apex. Let's make you fast. Welcome to Fast Talk episode 117. We're going to sit down today and talk, share some stories about the art of cornering and descending. And I know Trevor, you've had some stories, some 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 battle wounds have been inflicted on you by some nasty descents in your life. But we have a friend of yours, a colleague of yours on the race scene, Emil Abraham. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your descending history, or at least I know you've got a story up your sleeve about you and Emil. That, oh. that explains why Emil is a great resource for our discussion today. When it comes to Tobago and Emil, I've got a whole bunch of stories that I can share. <laughs> so I, you've, I have mentioned this race many times on the, the show. This is my favorite race in the world. I have been down there 10, 11 times, which means I, am, I have the second most attendances, I think. So the first time I ever did the race was 2008, and this was my experience with you as a descender, and I should just give some context. I have ridden a lot of mountain passes. I have ridden a lot of of descents. I have never seen anything like the descents in Tobago, and I can't tell you many people I have taken down to that race. I have tried to explain this to them. They go, whatever. I'm from Colorado. I know descending. And then they get down there and they just go, you didn't tell me it was like this. <laughs> it's you, you can't <laughs> describe it until you get there. Uh, or actually, the best way I can describe it is I rode with a European team a couple of years ago that has raced everything in Europe. They just went for a cruiser ride around the island a couple of days before the race because they got down there way early. One of the guys couldn't make it around. Mm-hmm. He, had to, he had to take a taxi home. <laughs> so... 2008, my first year down there, I had had a crash on the first day and broke my front brake lever and we couldn't fix it. So I only had a rear brake. So I was having a bit of a tough time on the descent. Yeah. So lesson number yeah. one when descending, so have two brakes. Always have two brakes. I have <laughs> learned ever since then, I bring down to that race everything to basically build a whole new bike because mm-hmm. you just mm-hmm. never know. But right. I was probably on the best climbing legs of my life. So I had this weird thing that on all, so it's just a whole series of these 10, 15, 20 minute climbs. 
and I was catching the leaders. Like I was the first one to the top of every climb. But then we get to the descent. I would only have a rear break and everybody would blow by me and I'd get killed. You had been dropped on the first climb, but then on that descent, you caught past me, you caught the leaders. And we kind of had this yo-yoing thing that I would catch all of you on the climbs and then you would just blow by me on the descents. And we went back and forth like that for a bit until there was just one time I didn't catch you on the climb, never saw you guys again, and you won the race. You won that final day that year, and it was on your descending skills. Definitely. And and I've had had a few of those. I I, I remember to... um, one year in Dominican Republic um, in the Vuelta Independencia. Uh, it's an eight-stage tour day in February. And um, I was wearing the yellow jersey. I had won the first stage and I got the yellow jersey. And this was about stage four now. And we went over a pass um, going towards Santiago. And it was a, probably about a 7K climb or something. <clears throat> and, I, and I lost the group probably about three quarters of the way up. And I lost about three minutes uh, going on within, that, within that last three Ks or something. And, but the, the descent on the other side was a much longer descent than the climb going up. And so when we got over the top, it started raining and everything. And um, I just I just started the descent and I just I, I was going and I started closing the gap. And the, I, there was a guy, one guy with me um, at that point, and he, he tried to keep up. And uh, there was this one time all I heard was, oh, <laughs> <laughs> and he basically he tried to follow me on the descent and he. I think uh, he went straight and he went into the bushes and over a barbed wire fence and like just disappeared. I'm like, oops. And and, and by the time we got to the bottom of the, the descent, I was within 20 seconds of the front group, which I eventually caught, caught them. Uh, about a, a minute or so after and and then i went on to stay with the leaders um on that stage and, and keeping my yellow jersey later on in the tour i ended up losing it on the on harabakoa which is like a, a a killer steep climb which there's no way a sprinter is gonna climb like that but um yeah, but I, yeah i mean th- there's there's some good stories there um on descending for sure well, I still remember 2012 on the final day, you were in the lead group. Uh, I was there with my teammate. And I still remember seeing the look on my teammate's face. He tried to stay with you. I had learned my lesson of, no, don't try to stay with Emil. That's, right. <laughs> that, that's a bad idea. So he tried to stay with you. You guys separated from us a bit. He crashed on a descent, took all the skin off of his kneecap and and ground down half of his kneecap. Yuck. And I caught him just as he he's sitting, looking at his knee. He has his hands on either side of his leg and he's just screaming. Screaming. Yeah. Wow. And I just remember I don't remember going, that, but Well, you he was behind you when that happened, but I just remember uh, looking at that going, Yep, 
Don't go with Emil. That was collateral <laughs> damage. He was he was be in the rearview mirror from you, Emil. So you wouldn't have seen. Right, that. right, right. Yeah. You know, I've I've actually had people who, um, you know, before the tour, have been you know hanging out and and you know the talk will come up and be like, when we get to the last stage of the Tobago Classic, whatever you do, do not try to follow Emil under descent. Because you will die. (laughs) (laughs) But this growing up in Tobago, and this is why we want you on the show. You spent your whole childhood learning to ride on some of the toughest descents around. It has made you a great uh, bike handler in corners. It's probably, I mean, you are a crit rider. It's probably why you are such a great crit rider, because I've seen you cornering crits. And you have built those skills. And so the rest of this episode, we're going to talk about how to corner. We're going to go into some of the basics. We are not mm-hmm. going to try to teach our listeners how to stay with you and lose their kneecaps. <laughs> right, right. But we are hoping as one of the best descenders I have ever seen that, that you can really share some good knowledge with people on, on how to be a good descender. Maybe sure. not a, a crazy kill yourself descender. But a good decision. Right. right. But at least better their skill level. Yes, yep. absolutely. Here is the important thing you need to know about the physics of cornering. Your bike wheels are gyroscopes. So what is a gyroscope? Think back to your childhood when you had tops. We're, we're, we're getting old. Think back to my childhood when we had tops and we didn't have really cool video games and never played with tops. Right. Uh, so a top is this thing that you get spinning really quick. Oh, wait, Beyblades. That's the new version. Oh, so my yes. My nephews so, play yeah, with, yeah. which is just a top with sure. jagged edges. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you get these things spinning and then they will stay upright on their corner. And the neat thing about them is if you push on a top while it's spinning it'll snap right back up. Mm -hmm. It actually wants to stay upright. So your wheels are very similar. When they are spinning really fast, they actually want to stay upright. They don't want to lean over. That's the first thing to remember. Second thing to to know about the gyroscopic effect is that it is magnified by accelerations. And now when I'm talking about accelerations, I am talking about not the way we commonly use the term, but the physical, the, the way it's used in physics. Mm-hmm. So an acceleration has two parts to it. It has both a change in, in speed, and it also has a change, in, so it also has a vector, a right. direction. Yep. So if you speed up, and notice I'm not using velocity, that's intentional, because velocity also has vectors to it. So um, if you speed up or slow down, that is an acceleration. But likewise, let's say you are heading north and then you turn west, that is also an acceleration because there are vectors. So you are slowing down on the northern vector, you are speeding up on the western vector. And that is important because like I said, an acceleration magnifies the gyroscopic effect. So when you go around a corner, you are changing direction you are magnifying the gyroscope, which is why anybody who, Neil, you can talk, I'm sure, a lot to this, but it's actually hard to get your bike to lean over when you're going around a corner. Yeah. 
I mean, if you think about it too, when you on a motorbike or a bicycle, when you corner, you actually don't even really turn your handlebar. Right. But you corner. It's just shift in weight that that leans Correct. the gyroscopes and then it's all about balancing the amount that they're falling versus the amount that you're putting into yeah. the bike to keep it upright. Correct. Right. So Correct. the last thing I will bring up about the physics is again, so you think about the things that cause accelerations. So it's both change in direction and a change in speed. If you're going into a corner and you're doing both, so obviously when you're cornering, you're changing direction, mm -hmm. that's an acceleration. But if you're also in the corner and you're hitting your brakes, that is, again, an acceleration. Again, when we're talking about acceleration in physics, that's speeding up or slowing down. Right. So you are really magnifying that gyroscopic effect. And anybody who's had a bit of experience with fast cornering can tell you, if you hit your brakes in a corner, your bike goes bolt upright and you go off the road. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And to, to obviously... Uh, when the wheel is off the bicycle and you're holding the ends of the skewer and you spin it, this is when you can uh, yeah. really feel the gyroscopic effect taking place. You Correct. can shift it side to side and you actually feel this this the this force. force and pulling you in yep. either direction. So if, if if somebody out there hasn't done that, do that and you'll understand a little bit more about what we're talking about here. And especially if you spin it really fast, you can really feel those forces kicking in. Yeah. So it's a really important concept to understand. Everybody's really worried about their bike slipping out. And yes, there is a traction thing. If you lose traction, then the gyroscope is no longer relevant and, and you slide out. Mm -hmm. But beyond uh, the, the tra dealing with traction, for the most part, when you're going through a corner, your bike wants to stay upright. So I'm going to let you guys really talk about the basics of cornering. But the strange thing here is you actually have to push your bike down. Your bike's going to try to stay upright. When you go through a corner, you need to force that bike to lean over. Colby Pierce, host of Cycling and Alignment, here with us at Fast Labs, has a wealth of knowledge to share about the physics of cornering. When you're cornering, yes, we have a gyro gyroscopic effect that happens, and that will mean the bike will want to sort of naturally upright. Also, we have centrifugal force in the corner, right? Which is not to be confused with centripetal force. Two different things. And when those are occurring, basically what it means is the rider needs to actively pilot the bike in corners. Now, to differentiate briefly, we're talking about sometimes people get confused in two minor points that I think are worth clarifying. There are two different ways to turn a bike. You can turn the bike by turning the handlebars, or you can turn a bike by leaning. The majority of our cornering happens in leaning. At certainly when you're talking about road riding, in order to make a turn on a road bike where you're turning the handlebars, we're talking about three miles an hour walking speed in a parking lot going around a cone or across a crosswalk to go around a can in the road or something. That's where you would actually turn the bars. What we're talking about is leaning the bike. And so when you lean the bike, then the, the inertia of the wheels will have a big impact on the direction of the bike and the arc of the curve. So when you influence the arc of the curve, the way to do this is this is a really key actionable concept I like to give my riders when I'm coaching them through how to corner. 101, outside pedal is down. You are pushing hard on the outside pedal and hard on the inside handlebar. That's the crucial component. And that's also in my experience, the component that most riders 
maybe instinctively have the most trouble sort of figuring out that it's okay to do that. I think a lot of riders push hard on the inside bar and they feel like the bar is going to fall out from under them, or maybe the bike's just going to slide out from under them. But once you start to get a feel for that, driving the bike hard on the inside bar, and, and specifically if we're talking about a downhill corner or even a high speed corner on a road bike, I'm almost universally recommending that riders are in the drops because we want a lower center of gravity and a greater leverage point on the steering mechanism. And to do that, you need to be in the drops. So if you're not using your drops, or if you're one of those people who say, oh, I never use my drops, go have a bike fit. I encourage you to go have a bike fit because bike fit is about performance as much as it is about weight distribution over the wheelbase and being able to actionably use all three parts of your handlebars. That's the tops, the hoods, and the drops. So when you push down hard on that inside bar and you push hard on that outside pedal, what you're doing is you're actually levering the bike over. And so when you properly lever the bike over and you're pushing hard on that inside bar, the bike should be leaning more than your body is. Your body will lean over into the corner, but we want to actually push the bike further. And this is what drives the contact patch of the tire into the asphalt or into the pavement. And this is what brings the handling of the bike alive and makes it corner or carve around a corner like skis. It also is what enables you to most effectively direct the arc of the turn given your velocity. Things that can mess with that equation are when the surface becomes unpredictable or slippery. If you are levering the bike hard, you are pushing it down under you and the angle, the lean angle of the bike is more acute than the lean angle of your body and you hit sand, you'll go down. Right. If you are on a rainy crit course, an alternate cornering technique may be advised, right? If the roads are wet or if you're on a uh, cyclocross bike in muddy conditions, for example, et cetera, or a fat bike on snow, then we might advise either a parallel angle of the body and the bike, or possibly even a situation where you're leaning the body more than you're leaning the bike. The bike stays closer to vertical, we'll say. Yeah. So we were even reluctant to bring that up on the show because that's a really advanced form of cornering, but that's called the, the counter steer where it's actually you lean fully with your body and you push your bike away from the corner. Right. So all of this talk about how the, the, the physics of cornering, the physics of the, the wheel and its gyroscopic effect and how that affects performance, how it affects balance through a corner, these are the types of things it's good to know them, but a lot of the times you don't want to be thinking about this stuff when you're riding your bike. You want to just innately, instinctually make a lot of the uh, movements that we're talking about, the body, put your, put your body in the position we're talking about, get it low, weight the outside foot, etc. be in the drops, all of these things. And that comes with experience the the more you start thinking about what's going on with your wheel and gravity and these other things the more you're distracted from looking through the corner finding that line uh, feathering the brakes if need be those types of things so it's good to know this basic stuff but it's also don't overthink it when you're out there don't get distracted by um, vectors and equations and things like that okay so why don't we jump into it let's throw this to the two guys who are much better cornerers, descenders than me 
And you guys talk about the basics of how to get around a corner. What are all the steps? What's involved in getting getting through that corner fast and safely? I might start with something that I've stolen from a famous Formula One driver named Jackie Stewart, Scottish guy. This is a great YouTube video, and, and it's become famous in certain realms because of the way he breaks down a corner. He says when he starts his career, he thinks about corners having three parts, the entry, the apex, and the exit. As he goes through his career, he realizes it's way more complex than that. It's got eight parts. And so I'll just walk through quickly those eight parts, and we can then dive into a little bit more on each of those. Hopefully that sets the stage for what we're, all the complexities we're talking about here. So part one being you're coming up to, you're approaching a corner, and on a bicycle, you're, you stop pedaling. This is different from a car where you would let your foot off of the gas pedal. So in this sense, you stop pedaling. Step two, you start braking on the final approach, and you do this before you're actually turning. Step number three is that you begin your turn, you've already released your brakes, and you begin to arc at an appropriate angle for the given turn. Number four, you hit that apex. The apex, it depends on the corner itself. Some are very consistent in their radius, some are not, but the Apex of the corner is, generally speaking, the center point of the inside of the corner. Right. Number five, you start to exit that corner so you can actually gently pedal again as you return to a more upright position. And obviously, we can get into a little bit more about the, you know, in a crit setting, you there are, there are corners you want to pedal through. You just have to be careful about pedal strike and all of these things, so we'll get there too. Part six, open that angle all the way. Start uh, Step seven, start pedaling full blast. At step eight, you're out of the corner, you're exiting, you're accelerating away from the group, hopefully, or out of the corner. So those are the, hopefully that all makes sense. Those are the, if you really get into the fine details of a corner, the eight different parts or the eight different aspects of cornering. So Emil, would you agree with all of that? Is there anything, let's, let's walk through and, and you give, give some more detail about the things that you do when you're setting up for a corner, the, how you determine your speed, those types of things. One of the first things is basically you have to try, you always have to be on the alert. Now, Nowadays, in, 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 in recent years, we have GPS. So, so basically, if I am going down the descent now, I will have my GPS on the route or the road that I'm on so I could kind of know what the road looks like ahead. Now, long ago, we didn't have that. So what we used to do, and most people it's probably not a good idea to look down all the time because then you lose concentration and focus on, on, on what you're actually doing and, and maybe distances um, what you are from the corner and so forth. But as you approach the corner, you need to analyze basically how much angle the road actually is making the turn, if that makes sense. Yeah. So... 
the sharper the angle is, the more you really want to break and slow your speed. Now, sometimes it's hard to figure out um, because some corners may look like it's not really going to turn that much and then it just kind of keeps going. Those are the most dangerous corners that put people in, in situations where they end up not being able to, to hold the turn and, and run wide into a wall or you know the pavement you know or, or sliding out because they actually have to try to lean more or break in the turn. All these things are uh, what you want to try to avoid. So sometimes it's better to actually slow your speed a little bit more just to be on the safe side if you're uncertain of how sharp the turn is. And then you can always accelerate sooner if the corner is not what you anticipated it to be in terms of sharpness. Um, so once you figure out, okay, the corner is actually a really sharp turn. Um, there's another factor involved there, wideness of the road. The wider the road is actually the faster you can make a turn because you have more distance to go from outer apex to outer. You can effectively make it a straighter line. A straighter line as possible. The the now in Tobago, like in the Tobago Classic, generally the roads are not wide at all. It is it is just about two car lengths wide, um, so you don't have a lot of road to play with, and and that and and there generally you have to be a lot more um, cautious and slower in in your descents. So you're calling what you do there cautious. <laughs> well, the, well, you see, so a lot of times to go and pre-ride a course and do a recon is always the best thing to do just so that you can visualize and know what you're up against. So, so let's say, for instance, if, if someone has done a course before or has done a course several times before and they know it very well, they know, okay, this corner is really sharp. They need to break harder, etc. Which is why most of the times in Tobago, growing up there, and I know the roads very well, I know, okay, I can hit this corner hard or I, you know, I have to really slow down. Um, and then a lot of times in the, in the race, what I would do, which Trevor ended up on the floor, is I would, if I know a corner is going to be a little bit sharper, um, and could be somewhat uh, a challenge to the person who doesn't know. I would go into the turn faster, break harder before the turn, knowing what it is, but the other person would not really understand that, and their reaction and reflex would be a lot slower because you kind of know what you're doing. So that puts them in a difficult situation. Which is fair. No, I've never ended up on the floor trying to follow you, but I did butt slap a car. <laughs> well, I mean, that's, that's almost as, as, as bad. <laughs> that, that was pretty bad. It was, it was a really sharp left-hand turn. And in Tobago, they drive on the left side of the road. So the race is on the left right. side of the road. Correct. You went around the corner. I didn't realize it was as sharp as it was. So I had to go out a little wider. A car came around the other way. And I kind of twisted my body, and I kid you not, I butt slapped the side of that car. 
Mm-hmm. But managed to stay up. Wow. Your, your, your first real aspect is analyzing how sharp the corner is and what's your speed. Width of the road, knowing your apex. And now, being able to use your apex because, I mean, sometimes if you are on a rolling enclosure race, let's say, you, you don't, you, you know, sometimes there, there, there can be, there can be something there on the other side. Um, but most of the times, let's say that it's a, it's a closed course. There's no cars or obstruction. So you, you go on the extreme right-hand side of the road if it's a left turn and once you have analyzed your turn you hit that apex and then on the on the exit you always this is another important thing is you always have to look at where you want to go right do not if you if you lose your focus and looked let's say it's a left-hand bend and you look at something on the right-hand side of the road, not where you actually want to go, you will then put your focus and lose concentration and actually end up going to where you are looking. Yep. So that, so, so, so let's say, for instance, you're going through a turn, you hit your apex, and something catches your attention on the right-hand side of the road, and you look at it, you, your your natural is is going to happen where your bike becomes a little more upright and um, your your force then kind of goes towards that 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 way. So always always look at where you are exiting and going, and that that will kind that will help keep your form and line as to where you actually will end up. I think that's such an important point because your bike goes where you look. And I would make an argument, a lot of crashes and corners are due to the fact that somebody comes up in a scary corner and what they do is they look at the corner. Mm -hmm. You don't do that. You have to always look at where you want to go. Through the corner, yes. Through the corner and, and out of the turn. Look for that line. Try to see the line through the corner and that's what you look at. Because if you look at the corner and go hey, that's really sharp and steep, that's scary, you're going to go right off the road. Another important thing is when you panic, you also lose focus. And, and, that, and that, that, that form of panic usually sets you off in looking in the wrong place or hitting your brakes too hard, which causes you to slide out and stuff like that. So always try to keep composure. Easier said than done, really, but the more you keep composure and look at where you actually want to go and your line of, of exit will help you stay upright and make the turn, even in a situation of difficulty. I think another really important point you brought up earlier is also that scrub your speed before you get to the corner. It's easy to accelerate out of a corner but if you are in a corner going too hot and you hit your brakes, that's when your bike goes upright, you can't turn it anymore and you go off the road. So it's better to err on the side of hitting that corner too slow, uh, but then going through the corner without touching your brakes, then too fast and having to hit your brakes. Correct. Because once you end up in that difficult situation, 
your chance of, of maintaining control goes down. You always want to try to be in control and not panic when cornering. A question I have for you is, how do you identify where you should begin your breaking? And there's two scenarios. One is in a corner that you know, say it's in a crit and you're doing laps and so you can then identify maybe a landmark so you can key off of that versus a corner where you've never been through it before. How do you know when to start breaking? That's a good question because everybody is different, right? <sighs> That's a really good question. <laughs> well, while you're thinking about it, I'll actually give an answer trying to follow you, which is it's you want to break surprisingly early. So I remember when I was still learning how to descend, I would follow much more experienced cyclists into the corner, and I'd notice they would start breaking, and I'd catch up to them and go, oh, I'm being more aggressive through the corner. I'm going to beat them. But then I'd hit the corner, I'd have to slam on my brakes, I wouldn't get through the corner very well. And by the time we were out of the corner, they had a 20 foot gap on me. Yeah. So I was obviously doing something wrong. And when I learned to break what felt like way too early for the corner. Forever, yeah, 200 meters before the corner. Right, that's when I could stay with them. Right. It obviously, there's a lot of factors involved, like you were saying before, sometimes you wanna go a little deeper into that corner scare the bejesus out of whoever's trying to follow your wheel and then take that corner because you know it's a, a reduced radius corner and it tightens up and right. you can you can throw them off their game if you do that otherwise if you're being not necessarily conservative but uh just practical about your cornering then you would you would it's this experience thing where you have to break early but you judge how much speed to scrub, get to that level, let off the brakes, and then you want to carve through that corner without touching the brakes at all. Right. Now, also, when you're riding with other people and, you know, you can also judge by the person in front of you how, how they lean and what's going on with, with their cornering ability. So in other words, if you know someone is like really experienced, let's say that I'm in front of you and I'm cornering, you can use my judgment, which Trevor didn't do, right? Which he's saying, you know, sometimes like, you know, it, he may go into the corner, like someone is experienced in front, they, they slow down and he, he's coming up on them really fast and he's going to crush them. No, this is your indication to, to know that you are going too fast and you probably should slow down as well. So you can always use that person in front of you as a good gauge, but they can also lead you astray in them going too fast, leading you into it too fast, and then you both end up in a situation. Right. But a lot of times, like I'm a coach and I would ride with clients, and if we are going down the descent, I always tell them to just follow my lead on what I do and, and try to, you know, never go into the corner faster than I am. And that, and that helps them a lot, you know? And, you know, you have to use your, your outer force pushing down. So in other words, if you're making that left-hand turn, you want to be pushing down in your right hand, your left knee. You lean your knee in a little bit. But I find that sometimes um, leaning your knee, you want to do it a little bit, but I find I don't really do it 
that much. I don't really push my knee out a lot because I, I, I find I, I lose my gravitational force tends to sometimes go a little too much on the inner, which, which tends to make you have too much weight on the inside. You have the centrifugal, local, and the, the real force of gravity. If you drop that knee too far, then what I find is that full gravitational force tends to pull you too much, leaning too much, which tends to make you lose traction just because you have too much lean. If you lean too much on a corner, that, that tends to make you slide out, right? Right. So that brings us to the, the next really important question, which is the, where is your weight? So we talked about you push down on your inside handlebar, you push down on your outside pedal. And I would also argue that unless you're going through a big sweeping corner, you don't really lean with your body. You keep your body more right above your center of gravity. And it's the bike that you're actually pushing down underneath you. Right. Correct. You know, and, and, and another important, very, 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 people tend to overlook this a lot, but I think a very, very important factor in cornering is tire pressure. Because if you have too much tire pressure, what happens is that you have less traction because they, there, is, there is less uh, rubber um, of, of tire that's actually on the floor. And, and the harder the tire is, the easier it is to bump off the ground. Yep, it's not as supple. It doesn't, the contact patch isn't smearing. But then again, you don't want it too soft. So there's a fine line right there, right? Because if you make it too soft with too much traction, then you could be actually putting out more wattage. Like if you're getting a flat tire, you know, you, you find that it, it's harder to push the bike because there's, there's too much traction. To me, 100 PSI or 90 to 100 PSI, especially if you're lighter, 100 PSI is more than enough. Yes. Yes. And, you know, once you start to go over 100 PSI, you, you, tend, you tend to be going in a little too much pressure to be able to corner at high speed, you know. Um, my go-to pressure is 95 to 100 for crits, for, for road races, for whatever. Now, if it's, a, if it's a time trial or something that's not technical, you know, a road race that has no sharp corners, I may go up to 110 just because, you know, rolling resistance is probably going to be a little less. But for the most part, 100 is my, my go-to PSI for, for crits and cornering. Dirty Cats, a silver medalist, coach at Rambler Rising, and former cycling tech editor Kristen Legan points out the necessity of having the right equipment depending on the kind of road you're attempting to descend, be it smooth, tarmac, or loose fire roads. Descending with different conditions, having different tires, different pressures, different compounds can really make a big difference in just how stable you feel in those corners, um, how fast you can go in and out of those corners um, and keeping everything upright. So for, you know, for a road race that's on a really, you know, perfect tarmac, your traction is going to be, you know, it's going to be a little bit better than say, let's 
say, going down a super steep fire road, coming through a corner, and, you know, in that situation, having a bigger tire, something with more grip to it, maybe even some side knobs that are going to be able to catch you a little bit if you start to go a little bit too far. That's a good way to just help help you get it through the corner, but also just help you feel more stable because I think a lot of us don't push our tires to the limit. We're just naturally going to pull up before we actually get to that breaking point just from being scared of going down. So um, so the better tires suited for that situation, the more you can kind of push that limit and start to learn where and how it feels when you're about to, to slide out. So I was in a race a few years back mm-hmm. where I nearly crashed myself in a corner mm-hmm. and I was running the cheapest I think it was $9 performance bike special mm-hmm. tire Yeah, <laughs> with Mr. Tuffy's pumped up to 120 PSI. Can we dissect <laughs> if I was doing anything wrong there with my, <laughs> my equipment? What were you pumped up to? 120. Oh, good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, I don't ever want to say, you know, way more expensive product is the way you're supposed to go, but there are benefits that come from some of these more highly engineered products. And tires can be one of those. Um, They can be, you know, obviously more puncture resistant, that kind of stuff, but also grip is uh, a big factor in that. And just the compound that's used in the tire development uh, can play a big role. So yeah, so when you're you're on some cheaper tires and, um, you know, maybe have them pumped up a bit too far, you're going to lose some of that traction. So, um, you know, like any race or ride, if you look ahead and you see these, these pretty big corners coming up that you, you know, are going to be a make or break situation, you can set your pressures and think about, you know, the tire selection for those situations. Um, cause that could, again, it's, better to be a little bit slower through those corners because you have a little lower pressure or you maybe your your tires aren't like the super fastest possible tire but they have a little bit more grip in them you're going to be much faster getting through that corner slowly than you are going down through that corner so i know it feels fast and scary for all of us but outside of pros who really do cook corners right are most of us ever really going through corners that fast that hard that the the traction is critical yeah, I think so. I mean, especially on this depends on the road surface. And, you know, a lot of us ride in places where it's mixing between, you know, there's sand on the road, there's um, cracks that are going to jostle you a little bit. So I think in the real world, it you know, we're not going as fast as pros, but I do think um, we're also our skills aren't as good to be able to save a, you know, a slip. So having that traction, I think is definitely worth it. Um, it just depends on you know, your level of what do you want to spend on those tires and how far are you really pushing them? This episode of Fast Talk is brought to you by Whoop. Whoop is offering 50% off with the code FASTTALK. That's F-A-S-T-T-A-L-K at checkout. Go to Whoop, that's W-H-O-O-P dot com, and enter Fast Talk at checkout to save 15%. Sleep better, recover faster, and train smarter. Optimize your performance with Loop. One last element to talk about in the, 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 the cornering basics here is the line through the corner. 
And I'm just going to start it off by saying one of the biggest mistakes I see athletes make is to start cornering too soon. Absolutely. Because if you, if oh, you yeah. think about it, if you draw a line between where you start cornering and the apex of the turn, if you start really early, you're not going to be able to turn very much. And then when you hit the apex of that corner, you are pointed towards the woods or a cliff or whatever happens to be there. Because you have to straighten up. And once you straighten up and lose your line, then that gravitational force is going to send you in the wrong direction. You hear the term diving into a corner sometimes, and it really, when you see the best descenders uh, or best cornerers out there, they are staying upright until that last moment, and then they're diving and hitting that apex rather than making this very mellow turn through the corner because that helps you, basically it helps you miss, or it increases the chances that you're going to miss that apex or come out from the apex in a wrong direction than having to overcorrect or oversteer or do some of these other things that will slow you down, throw you off, throw you off your line, or um, disrupt everything and make you uh, have to make an, a more aggressive move, which is, leads to um, the ch increases your risk of crashing and other things. So Now, if you're going down the descent and you hit a hairpin turn, that 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 is a good time to to dive, you know, to 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 dive the turn because, I mean, basically the corner is so sharp. I mean, of course you have to be slowing down to a reasonable speed, but when you have a hairpin turn, the corner is so sharp, actually almost like 180 degrees, you know, more than more more than 90, of course, um, and you kind of have to dive bomb because in order to make that turn, you have to hit it sharp because the corner just kind of goes back on itself. Yeah. It's, it's a strange concept, but the sharper the turn, the longer you should wait to yes. actually start your turn. Yes. Yes. You know, we're talking about all the different elements of, of the corner, and Chris just gave eight sides to it. But if there is one way I could personally summarize this, of how to improve your cornering is, is people who are inexperienced and just learning how to corner, they tend to start turning too soon and they break too late. So they're breaking while they corner and then they get to that apex of the corner, they're pointed in the wrong direction, they're slamming on their brakes and they have to almost come to a stop to get around. To corner right. better, you wanna break early before you've even started your turn, get rid of all your speed and then wait till almost the last minute to start your turn. And always try to use as little braking as possible when actually turning. Oh yeah, for sure. It actually, Chris, I think mentioned this earlier, but I did find one study that was done with Giant Alpecin uh, with, with a lot of the riders on their team where they actually had a course in Europe that was just designed for practicing cornering. And they tried to see the difference between people who are cornering really well versus guys who weren't cornering as well. And the thing they emphasized in that study was you saw the, the best performers, they, they hit the brakes early. They actually hit them hard and they were not on the brakes for very long. So they would scrub their speed quite quickly and then they would go through the corners without touching the brakes much because there was just this inherent understanding that when you're on the brakes, you don't have a lot of control of the bike. So right. get your speed 
down quick and then just go through the corner with with minimal braking. And and but that but that takes experience though. Yes. You know, that is something that I would not suggest an, an inexperienced rider to to try to uh, mastering. I I think that really takes a lot of years of practice to to really execute that. It's actually can really backfire in you super easy. But yes, I mean, I do tend to corner a lot later than earlier. But if I'm uncertain of what the corner is going to be, I always break earlier, get control, because the remember one of the things is always be in control than, and, and accelerate sooner out of the turn than putting yourself in difficulty going too fast through the turn. Safety is the name of the game. If you are too fast in a corner and having to hit your brakes while you're cornering, that's when you get in trouble. Absolutely. That's when you go off the road. That's when you crash. It is better to hit the corner too slow and accelerate out. Yep. Correct. Red Bull rider, mountain bike marathon national champion, and host of the Adventure Stash podcast, Payson McElveen knows the ins and outs of descending, not only for mountain biking, but also on the road. Line choice still trumps all. I mean, you can be the best bike handler in the world, but if you hug the inside of a turn, you're just not going to go as fast. <laughs> um, the, just the rules of, of uh, swing wide, cut the apex, swing wide, really holds true. One thing also that, I mean, if you want to get really nerdy about it, studying other sports can be uh, really beneficial, whether it's BMX racing or F1 or MotoGP, taking cornering to uh, completely new levels of speed. I mean, supercross, like so many of my friends that are mountain bikers are crazy about uh, motocross racing and, and following supercross because it's like mountain bike racing. It's like a short track race, but at higher speed. Experimenting is, is important and also knowing that every corner is different. Um, obviously in mountain biking, if you're going through a corner and there's rocks in it and roots in it, you have to make decisions based on your line to get through that corner. But the same goes for the road. I mean, no road is, is truly perfect. Um, if you're really pushing the limit, you don't want to hit a little crack, um, that might happen to be, you know, the, the quote unquote perfect line. Also, this is way more specific, but I think a lot of people forget that breaking early is, is super crucial. Um, a lot of people break as late as they can and ride the brakes through the corner, but you're losing traction when you're on the brakes like that. And if you can get your braking done, and this is where it gets, you know, into Danny Hart, Sam Hill, black magic sort of stuff. But if you can get to the point where you get all of your braking done before the corner and you are so good at judging the speed that you can get through a corner to where you're actually not even touching the brakes at all through the corner. That's the Holy grail. Um, and the same goes for, for on the road. And that's something that when you're watching on TV, you know, going back to Nibali, if Nibali is going down the backside of the Poggio, I guarantee you that guy is not really touching the brakes in the corner. He's touching the brakes a lot before the corner. Um, and that's not something that many people would, would pick up on, uh, on TV, for example. So I want to switch 
topics just slightly here. Everything we've been talking about, I think, applies to everybody. Anybody listening to this who doesn't even race, just wants to be able to get down a, a mountain pass safer and, and a little bit quicker, I think all this applies to everybody. But let's jump to actually talking about the race scenario of you are descending in a pack where you, know, you had talked about ideally you want to make the, the corner as wide as possible. So you want to go hit the corner wide, then go as wide as you can coming out. You can't do that if you're in a pack. You're going to cause a crash. Sometimes you, you just, the line you have to hold is the line you have to hold so you don't run into other people. So thoughts and suggestions about cornering in a, in a race in a field? You definitely have to hold your line. I think one of the biggest things with, especially like in crits, is guys not holding their line and going straight on a corner. And I think a lot of the times that's what causes crashes because guys tend to to turn and straighten and turn and, you know, they panic too much and they're not that comfortable. If everyone was to hold their line going through the corners, I think it, it will make for a, a, a smoother transition. You cannot change your line. If you're on the inside, you have to stay on the inside. If you're on the outside, you have to stay on the outside. Now, being on the outside is somewhat more dangerous than being yes. on the inside because if someone on the inside can't hold a line and they drift wide, they will come into you. So you always have to take that into consideration in, in cornering. But if you're on the outside, you're on the outside. You know, It is better to, to slow down a little bit and let a couple guys go by and, and, and be safe then try to hold your line and end up in a situation because I've seen that many times before too, where guys, guys force themselves, you know, in, in, into situations where if they just relax, I mean, you know, there's a straightaway coming, you know, if you lose a couple, a, a couple bike lengths of, of guys passing you in a turn, I mean, it, it's okay. You don't have to, you don't have to force yourself into a hole that's not there. You know, you can make it back up in the straightaway. This is where it's helpful to speak up sometimes. If somebody is drifting into you, you can say something. Don't be shy about that. But there's also the, the way in which you say it, too. Because a lot of times, you know, you're in race mode, you're in aggression. And, and, and a lot of the times guys would say things too aggressively right. when they're yes. just trying to bring out a point. So always take into consideration how you speak to someone when trying to correct them for something. Now, I never end up in situations where if you see me in an argument in a race, something's definitely going on <laughs> because you will never see me in conflict with anyone in a race. I've never seen it. You're right. Yeah. I mean, I, I never get in conflict because when I speak to someone in a race, I always speak to them in, in a non-aggressive way. And I think that's just because the, it, I think it's just because I'm such a relaxed writer too, you know? Um, but but always remember um, how how it's not it's not what you say is how you say it, and and that's in in everyday speech. So um, you know you might want to just correct a writer in how they go through a turn, not cornering, but you may say it in the wrong manner, and then that person tends to retaliate. 
um, in in the same way in which you put it towards them. So and then and then you know and then later on you know that that writer it it it, it builds up you know. Um, so I, I've seen that happen so many times in crit races and and you know and I will go and tell the same person the same thing and they're way more receptive to it you know um and 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 ju- that's just that's just uh, uh, and and these are experienced people too these are these are guys who are racing year in year out that tends to still do stuff like that that's just something that i think needs to be more put out there in terms of 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 how you speak to people during a race i have seen races where riders will forget that there's a race going on and they are just out to get one another. Mm -hmm. One guy did something to really upset the other and they just get into this battle of back and forth, screaming at one another, chopping one another's wheels. Right, and they're endangering everybody else at the time. They put everybody in danger. One of the things you could do in a race that the first time you experience it, it's a little disconcerting, but it quickly just becomes a normal thing is if you are drifting into somebody's line, an experienced rider is just going to tap you on the yep, side of your just head. Just a light touch on the hip or back or somewhere. Not You don't want to push the person. But, you know, on, on the contrary, on the contrary, though, I mean, and it's happened to me, too, where if, if someone takes their hands off the handlebar in a turn and touches me, I don't like that. You know, I prefer that you say, hey, inside or something rather than than touching me. Like, don't touch me. You know, why are you touching me? <laughs> I, I, no, I mean, th- that's one of the things that would kind of get me angry, you know, but but it takes a few times to 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 really, you know, the, the you know, the first time or two times I kind of just look at you like, you know, what are you doing, man? Like, you know, um, and, and I've seen riders explode because someone touched them. I think it's better to to say and speak to the person rather than than touch them. You know, touching is can, can be tricky. I'm, I'm, I'm just <laughs> putting that out there. Yeah, uh, that is fair. Everybody responds differently to, to words and to actions. And um, correct. Same thing with a horn on a car you know some people immediately get their uh tail feathers in a bunch because of a horn but the driver the the intention of the driver was i'm here i'm here if if you if okay so going to the horn in a car if you are driving with someone and you go beep beep i'm here the person will react very nicely because it's a beep beep but if you go and if you do that same thing and you go beep, then the aggression becomes like, what, what, you know, like, why are you blowing? You know what I'm saying? So it's the same thing. It's it's how you portray the action. No, that's fair. And actually, it's funny you bring that up because the thing I had to get used to the first time I went down to Tobago is people love to do the beep beep mm-hmm. as, as a friendly thing. And since yes. I'm very used to cars only honk at you because they hate cyclists on the road. Well, yeah. It's the a, first time I was down there, like for a couple of days, I'm like, they're the meanest drivers down here until I realized, oh, they're actually just saying hi. Yeah, right. Yes. It's context yes. matters. That's, that's our little gesture of saying hello. 
The last thing I will bring up about the cornering in a group is sometimes somebody gets off a line, sometimes things happen. You mentioned this before about never panicking in a corner. The same thing as cornering in a pack. No matter what happens, mm-hmm. best thing to do is, is stay calm. And I, I still remember one, line. one crit where uh, I don't remember if I went off my line or the other rider went off his line, but we locked up handlebars in a corner mm. in the middle of the pack. Ooh. And Ooh. we actually, neither of us panicked. We got through the corner with our handlebars locked up and then gradually slowed down so that everybody could pass us, came to a stop, got our, our handlebars unlocked without anybody going down. Yeah. Had we panicked, we would have gone down. We would have taken out half the field. Yeah, that's that's something that experience helped you immensely in that situation. A lot of people wouldn't have had the, the calm, the, the resolve to ride it out and and even all the, the skill to ride it out when you're locked in, in, in together with somebody else's handlebars. So, correct. And I mean, it would it would have meant that neither of y'all actually turned your handlebar either. You would have you would have kept your composure. You would have done the lean. You would have hooked handlebars, but you kept your lean. You kept your line. You you basically was like Siamese at that point. You know, you moved in sequence and in one. And then, and and that's why y'all didn't crash because you didn't panic, you didn't turn the handlebars. What we ac- actually did is we leaned into one another. So we we leaned onto a, we we pushed our shoulders together and leaned against each other. <laughs> to balance, yeah. To help us keep our balance and not rely on the bikes. Which made you like a Siamese twin, Trevor, the Siamese twin. I don't, I don't remember who my Siamese twin was. <laughs> I wish <laughs> should have gotten his name. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> well, do we want to talk about how to descend in a straight line as fast as possible? I know this episode's about cornering. Um, but it'd be worth bringing up. Yeah. And well, I'll just give you my bias on a 30-second descent that's a 4% grade. Don't tuck. Yeah, right, right. There's certain... Uh, yeah. uh, it's all relative, and there's certain points in a descent or certain types of descent where it can be extremely effective to go into a super tuck if, right. you, if you're comfortable with that. Other, at other times, it's just going to, the, the process of getting into and out of the super tuck is going to be more dangerous than, and slower ultimately than just yes. sitting on your saddle and being in the drops. Yeah. The, the transition in and out of a tuck can be very wobbly. And that it's the easiest time to really lose control in a straight line. Because when because you you're changing your point of gravity. And that and I think that's where the, the problem really comes in. So if if you're if you're not careful, the transition in and out can really throw you off. And and once you once you start that wobble, um, you know, it's 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 somewhat difficult to get back control. So Unless you are like super experienced and 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 I would not recommend the 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 super talk. I've seen many guys crash going in a straight line trying to do the talk. Yeah. And just so our, our listeners understand, the super talk, there's different ways to do it, but the way the most common way is somebody will basically get down and almost sit on their top tube. They will. They bring their hand their their arms together. So their their arms are tucked underneath their body and then they, they basically eat their handlebars. You know, you put your face right down on the handlebars. So you are yeah. 
curled up into a little ball, basically, on your bike. You're sitting on the top tube, and your chest is on your hands on the, on the handlebar. And I have a lot of experience doing this for, for several reasons. I'm still bitter about this. You're still bitter <laughs> about this. I'm coaching him at the time. We're trying to get him ready for an event. And then he says to me as he was like, Trevor, I did something that wasn't quite on my plan today, <laughs> which involved doing a climb, what, like 50, uh, 60 times? Uh, probably even more than that. Yeah, I think it was more like 100 times. Um, a, short, a short, steep climb. I went out there with Leonard Zinn, somebody who hopefully everybody listening knows who Leonard Zinn is has worked at Velo News for 30 years, tech guru, author, so forth. We were doing this little experiment on which super tuck position is the fastest, and so we thought we'd do some roll-down testing. Myself, plus a control subject that sat in the same sort of upright position every time. And th there's a lot of different variations of the super tuck. You can have your hands together on the tops of the bars, you can have your hands still in the drops while sitting on the top tube. You can have your chest up and over the front of your handlebars. So Marco Pantani was famous for resting his chest on his saddle and his butt was way behind. You'd see this also with people like Cadell Evans. So anyways, we took all of these different positions to the hill. We had, uh, I had photos to to, to look at and reference before I did these different runs of the super tech and I super tuck and I would go up the mountain and we'd do multiple runs and multiple runs. And Leonard had this laser on his leg that he put out by the side of the road and he'd measure the distance or the time between the two riders. And we'd made some determinations. So point being fast super tuck positions. And there are actually very slow super tuck positions. People think they're going faster, but they're not. They're just making it more dangerous to ride down a hill. I also find it easier when you have a bike with a sl slightly sloping top tube to tuck yourself in and under the saddle and onto the, the top tube. And I'm very comfortable and get into the super tuck position quite a bit, but don't try to go through corners that way. No. Your balance is all thrown off. Your braking ability Ugh. is all thrown off. You want to extract yourself from the super tuck position well in advance of a corner. This is more for straight parts of a, a long descent where you can really <clears throat> pick up a lot of speed if you get low and get tight and turn yourself into a bullet. So which position mm -hmm. was fastest? The, the fastest position is, if again, if you're going in the straight line, the, the fastest position is seat or put your butt onto the top tube, tuck your butt underneath your saddle as much as possible and put your hands together. You get as narrow as possible and as low as possible. Problem with that is you have, your hands are not on the brakes. So if a deer runs, runs in front of you, for example, on this climb that we were on <laughs> or this descent that we were on. No, I think you're talking from experience. Yeah, there were deer around. This is NCAR for anybody yes. that knows. So there's a big meadow up there and deer come out all the time. No braking ability and, and your hands being so narrow, not a lot of stability. Right. So straight line is great. You're going to go 70 miles per hour and you're going to probably poop your pants because you're going to go so fast. The the variation that we thought was the best combination of control and speed was 
Again, sitting on the top tube, tucked back as far as possible, hands in the drops. And, and tuck, your, yes. tuck your elbows in as far as possible. Which is how I tend to do exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah, it's uh, sort of a natural starting point for the super tuck because going, moving your hands from the drops to the center of your bars at speed is that's when the wobbles kick in and that's pretty nerve-wracking. Correct. Yep. You have a lot less control. A lot less leverage with your hands that close to together. Going back to what I said at the beginning, if you are on a short descent, I hate it when people get into tucks because as Emil said, the most dangerous points are when you're getting into it mm -hmm. and when you're getting out of it. And if it's a 30-second descent, the gains are negligible, but you're taking two big risks. Yeah. And you take somebody else out. The other thing that you have to be aware of when exiting the super tuck position is to not hook your jersey pocket or something on the underside on the of your saddle, saddle which yes, you can yes. do and that can really throw you off and i've seen guys do that and you don't want to do that because yeah. then you lose half your kneecap Oof. to the ground or whatever uh -huh. the case may be <laughs> yeah yep. so be careful when you choose that super tuck yep Alpacid Phoenix rider Peter Vakoch has more than a few World Tour race corners under his belt. We thought it'd be fun to hear from a pro about what to expect when cornering in the big leagues. Can you describe to us what you are thinking about or how you look at a descent and navigate it most effectively? And then what are the common mistakes you see people make that should be avoided? First of all, I have kind of like two speeds for, for descent that like when I go on training or when I ride in a bunch and nothing is really happening and there is not really worth uh, trying to go fast, then I'm really cautious and, and I like to keep a distance to, to have like extra margin of safety. But then once uh, it's important moment to take the downhill really fast or I'm riding for, for a victory, for a good result or in a breakaway. Then I like switch to move when I, when I take more risks and it goes kind of like naturally to, to even like enjoy the downhills more and then, then really feel the fear or, or something of, of crashing. So, it's like interesting thing that that happens to me naturally. For me, it's uh, always to try to exit the the corners at uh, at high speed, which uh, for many people it might be a bit counterintuitive, but uh, it's good to break a little bit earlier, not really having to break in the actual corner, but already before, just trying to to see if there is somebody riding with you or ahead of you, just try to, to see his line, maybe leave him a little bit of space going into the corner so you can take the corner a bit faster and, and exit the corner without having to sprint. Just take the bigger speed to exit the corner faster than the person in front of you. So that's, I think that's important thing to leave a little bit of gap to have this possibility to, to break uh, earlier and uh, and then exit faster it's about looking ahead in the corner and uh, and knowing which would be the optimal angle or i would say to to hit the corner what are some mistakes that you've seen 
even pros make when when they're trying to get down a, a mountain pass fast and they they misjudge a corner or they just don't hit the apex or something what are what are some of those mistakes that you've seen taking too much of uh, the inside line rather than uh, taking a little bit more more outside of the line where you can keep slightly higher speed in uh, not in all cases but but sometimes it's it's better to to take the corner a little bit wider like the high, biggest mount, uh, mistake I, I i see it's hitting the corner too fast getting a skirt in the middle of the corner and uh, and just breaking too hard afterwards also when we go really fast in the bunch uh, sometimes it happens that that people would leave a little bit of gap but then uh, on the exiting of the corner they don't uh, accelerate fast enough uh, like once you are leaving the corner then then it's necessary to to really be in the wheel of the of the person in front of you otherwise it's it's very difficult to to close it so so i would say that's to they would react too slow on the exit of the corner and then lose the slipstream and uh, and make a gap which it's then difficult to close some of the basic mistakes i would say it's just like people are trying to lean with the bike and not with their body and also not putting enough weight on the on the outside pedal because then uh, if you push on the pedal which which is on the out outside side of the of the corner then you can uh, have more uh, traction i would say in the in the corner when you put the weight there then uh, then you have better grip all right trevor since you're the experienced one here when it comes to one minute's take homes why don't you kick it off and tell us what is the most important message about cornering you like people to take home with them there are a lot of aspects to cornering. So we, we talked about all the different details, but I would say if there is one thing that anybody, I'm not talking just about racers, but anybody can do to improve their cornering, it's break earlier than you think, scrub all your speed before you hit that corner so that you can go through the corner without touching your brakes and start your turn later inexperienced riders start the turn too, too soon because they think that's safer but then they hit the apex at the wrong angle and then it's really hard to get around that corner if you wait a little bit you're going to discover that hey actually it's a lot easier to get around the corner like this emil tire pressure is one of the most important and fundamental aspects of cornering as well as having a proper line so these for for me is things that you need to always take into consideration. And last but not least is never panic. When you panic, you, you lose focus and you lose control. And when those things happen, you're almost sure to end up in a situation where you would either crash or run off the road. Um, if you run off the road and you can save it, then great. But always break earlier. It is better to be safe than sorry. Get control, keep control, know your line, always look at where you are going, and never lose focus. Okay, Chris, you want to finish this out here? Sure. I, I have two 
points. One would be I'd like to to reiterate something I said early in the episode, which is there's a there's a lot of information to take in from this episode, from the physics to the the eight different stages of a of a corner, all of that. Don't overthink it when you're doing it. Now, if you're experienced, you know what that means. You know what it's supposed to feel like going through a corner. You know how much speed you can carry. Hopefully, we've given you some things to think about that'll make you even better. If you're new to cycling or if you're not a great descender or if you're not great at cornering, then what I would say is back up for a step. Go out and do think about all of these things at a slower speed as you practice. Find a corner, ride it 50 times, think about these things each time you'll go a little bit faster, go a little bit faster. Obviously, you don't probably want to get to a point where you go so fast, you crash because you're going to lose a lot of skin. That's going to probably set you back a bit. You might be more tentative cornering if you do that to yourself. But a lot of these things can be distracting to you if you're overthinking it when you're in the midst of a race or in the corner itself. So go out, find some time, find that right corner to practice and think about all these things there. And then let your mind sort of open up when you're out on the next ride. And I think you'll see vast improvements because of that. That was another episode of Fast Talk. As always, we love your feedback. Email us at fasttalk at fastlabs.com or record a voice memo on your phone and send it our way. Subscribe to Fast Talk wherever you prefer to find your favorite podcasts. Check us out on social media. We are at Real Fast Labs. The thoughts and opinions expressed on Fast Talk are those of the individual. For Emil Abraham, Colby Pierce, Petter Vakoch, Payson McKelvin, Kristen Legan, and coach Trevor Connor, I'm Chris Case. Thanks for listening.